welcome to Criminology Matters, the criminological podcast made in conjunction with LawPod. I'm Gillian, and today we have Angela Rogan, who is an MRes student at the School of Social Sciences, Education and Social Work, working towards a PhD examining pharmaceutical crime. So Angela, first of all, tell us a bit about pharmaceutical crime and how big an issue it is. Okay. Well, pharmaceutical crime, and particularly those that involve the female reproductive system, has got a very long checkered history of harms. However, it seems to be becoming more and more of an issue at the moment. And this is for a number of reasons. Firstly, what we have is technological innovation, which is outpacing regulatory policies and procedures. But we also have a greater awareness with people and social media where people are collectively taking action and informing each other of the different issues that they're facing at the moment. So what this has done has really brought pharmaceutical crimes into the spotlight Mm -hmm. and people are a lot more aware. One of the things that happened last year was the ICIJ, which is the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists, who actually exposed just how big of an issue this was on a global scale, where lots of different patients were experiencing harms due to medicines that weren't under proper regulatory procedures Mm -hmm. or medical devices that were actually causing a lot of pain and harm, especially to women. Okay. You look at a particular issue within pharmaceutical crime, medical implant harms against female reproductive systems. Could you tell us a bit about that issue and how did you get involved in it? Okay, so the PhD falls within the wider scope of pharmaceutical crime, but it is specific seeking to understand how women who were implanted with the eShare device mm-hmm. actually used an online Facebook to collectively confront the harms that they experienced and have the device removed from the market. So how I became involved with this type of project was through my own direct experience of having the eShare fitted and understanding a lot of the challenges that these women actually faced in terms of trying to get a diagnosis or trying to get timely medical treatment or even just seeking legal accountability or anybody that would actually understand that this is what has happened and take responsibility for that. Okay. So it's it really arises from your own experiences having to fight the medical industry? Definitely. I find that when I was approaching my own GP over a number of years with different illnesses, different pains and things like that, they were being disregarded. In fact, I was preventing presenting with physical symptoms, but being offered anxiety medication or antidepressants. Instead of the doctors actually looking to see what was the cause, they wanted to treat it, the emotional symptoms. And what I also find, when I discovered that it was actually HR that was causing a lot of my problems, this was accidental. It came on the news one night that the device had been banned in Europe. And at that stage, I went back to my doctors and I asked for an ultrasound. I asked for x-rays and when we realised that it was the issue that was causing all of my issues, I was told there was a two-year wait to speak to a gynaecologist. So this was a huge issue in terms of actually accessing the treatment that I needed. So I had no other real choice other than to go privately. And at that stage, the doctor that I spoke to put me in touch with a surgeon who had 
who had done the original surgery in the first place. And it, I took it from there. But the challenges that I was overcoming in a vulnerable position, because I was quite ill at the time, it took a lot of determination. And eventually I was able to get that device removed from my body. But the entire process took for maybe around 12 months of realising what was causing the problems to begin with. And this is a common challenge that women are encountering where they're finding it really difficult to get the medical profession on board. Mm -hmm. They actually deal with the issue. So, well, first of all, I'm really sorry that you experienced all of that. And it's amazing that you are using your experiences to to try and transform knowledge and raise awareness of these issues. Um, it sounds as if what you're talking about then is that you have this these explicit harms, physical harms that are um, enacted upon women by pharmaceutical companies. But alongside that, there are all of these other issues that emerge from women's experiences due to minimising you know, women's um, health issues due to lack of recognition, lack of support. That's true. The wider issues of trying to get accountability or even transparency mm -hmm. is also coupled in with the lack of community support yeah. where women don't really have anybody to turn to within their own communities that can deal with this type of issue. Yeah. There's the huge issue of a lack of informed consent. Mm -hmm. So they find themselves in a position wondering, how did this happen to me? Nobody told me that these were the possibilities. And they also, what we find within the Facebook group, an awful lot of these women, they end up either losing their homes, they lose their husbands because they're no longer able to continue with an intimate relationship. Because they've maybe lost their homes or their husbands, they go on to lose their children and their families. And they find themselves in a, a position where they are battling with perhaps permanent illnesses. They are so ill that... Some of them develop autoimmune issues. We have so many deaths that's been associated both with Asia and the vaginal mesh, which is in the forefront at the moment. And these women have very, very little resources to fall back onto. And also when they go for legal advice and accountability through those channels, what they come up against, again, is lack of funding which means that they will need to access legal aid. If they are successful in actually bringing a case through the courts, they will actually have to accept an out-of-court settlement, which involves signing a non-disclosure agreement. So they cannot talk about the harms and the experiences that, that they have had inflicted upon them. So there is a massive silencing involved around this issue. And you examine these issues um, with during your MRes and uh, through your PhD using Foucault, what does he have to tell us about the gendered power issues that emerge from this pharmaceutical crime? Well, as I have just mentioned, the entire situation can feel incredibly hopeless yeah. to anybody who finds themselves in this position. They're outnumbered, they're outpowered, they don't have the community resources, they quite often lose their families. And when we look at Foucault, and what Foucault has to say in, in two ways, both as the body, as a discourse, becomes actually quite a powerful entity of knowledge. And also that power in itself is something that is quite fluid. 
that we can access this. This is actually quite revelationary because what this shows is that the situation actually isn't hopeless. That while you may be vulnerable and you're certainly trying to access power in a bottom-up model, it is there. And this is very much evident when we look at the Facebook group and what they've managed to achieve. Because as a collective group, they have protested both online and in real time, where they have come, they have congregated outside medical conferences. Mm-hmm. They have went to Houses of Parliament, and the same in America. They have really got together and they have accessed that type of power to make their voice heard. And it was incredibly successful. They managed to get the device off the market on a global scale. And that that is quite an achievement. And I think Foucault can really help understand how that actually happened. Yeah, that's brilliant. It sounds like, as with so many issues, it's not just about creating the knowledge about what the issue is. It's about um, action after that. It's about activism, because as always, it is people rising on the streets that actually changes things, that makes power change. That's true. And people will say that knowledge is power. Yeah. But you actually need to have the action accompany the knowledge. It's fine to understand what has happened to you and why it has happened. But it's when you take that next step and you don't want this happening to anybody else. That's where the true power actually lies. Absolutely. So there's been this huge range of social harms created by these gendered pharmaceutical crimes. Do these come under the remit of criminal justice? Have any prosecutions occurred? Or is it more of an industry regulatory response? Well... I would say, in my opinion, that these types of harm really should come under the criminal justice system. But in fact, they very rarely do. Mm -hmm. In the rare instances that they do come before the court, unfortunately, what actually happens is the pharmaceutical companies are levied with a huge fine. Mm -hmm. Now, they are obscene amounts of money. But in fact, in reality, to the pharmaceutical companies, they're simply a drop in the ocean. These pharmaceutical companies are turning over billions of pounds on a monthly basis and it accrues to such an amount that these fines are considered the price of doing business. And perhaps, as I had said earlier, one of the most unfair elements within seeking legal redress is that women are silenced and this perpetuates the power that the pharmaceutical companies have. And also then with the women that do actually manage, if we take the likes of America, that they do actually manage to get out-of-court settlements, quite often that money goes on their medical bills. Now, we are lucky in a sense where we don't have that here in Northern Ireland, where we have the NHS, but we are also suffering huge budget cuts to our health services. And this is one of the reasons why I was told it would be two years just to speak to a gynaecologist about actually having the devices removed. As it stands at the moment, We have literally dozens of women who are sitting on waiting lists waiting to have the Esher removed and we have even more who are waiting to have vaginal mesh removed. So travesty. What outcomes do we need to see for women? Well, accountability and transparency would be the immediate things that would spring to mind. But I really think there needs to be a complete overhaul of the entire system Mm -hmm. in terms of what pharmaceutical companies are allowed to get away with. Mm -hmm. The fact that these regulatory bodies 
quite often have people sitting on the boards who come from industry where there's a huge conflict of interest. And also the medical professionals, they need to start listening to women and take women seriously. It really just is not good enough to be suggesting to women that anxiety medication is a solution to what are actually physical problems. So I think there's so many different elements that need to be addressed, but it must start from listening to women and taking this from a bottom-up model. We have seen different groups try to take on the powers of pharmaceutical companies and it simply does not work if we're looking at a top-down model. So like many corporate crimes, it's not really responded to appropriately by the criminal justice system. And when they do receive sanction, they are really amounts that are minute proportionately to the companies involved. Absolutely. And one of the things that we also see is that the pharmaceutical companies, they lobby for lax regulations. They basically have fingers in so many different pies from the politicians to the media. It's it's just endless and it goes round and round in a circle. And it's as if they have every single area of this sewn up. Yeah. So it's like not just the corporate crime, but the enmeshed nature of the state and state complicity in allowing this to happen and being part of all of the processes that lead up to this point. Absolutely. It is systemic. And there is so many different areas that need to be addressed, particularly within the legal area, the Mm -hmm. political area, Mm -hmm. with regulatory bodies, right down to the nurses and the doctors who are listening to women who present with these types of symptoms. But I think also more importantly, we need to prevent these types of devices coming onto the market in the first place. There is a huge drive on innovation at the minute within pharmaceutical companies. And I really think that people need to take a step back and think innovation that causes death and harm is really not a path that we need to be going down. We need to look at how technology is progressing Mm -hmm. and it is progressing at such a fast rate and while innovation is great, Mm -hmm. there just isn't enough, there isn't enough focus on the negative impacts of this at the moment. Mm -hmm. It seems to be all geared towards profit. Absolutely. Profit before people. Yes. Do you have any take-home message or anything you'd like to add, Angela, before we leave? I think creating awareness of this problem and because it's a problem that seems to be exploding at the moment, both in terms of the number of people and women who are experiencing these harms and the number of new devices on the market which are quite harmful. When people have this type of awareness and you're considering perhaps using this type of new technology, do your research, find out first Have a look and see what's available online. What are people saying about it? And try to make an informed choice because you may not be given the proper or full information whenever you're speaking about this to doctors or people who are promoting it. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming in and sharing your story. And it sounds like amazing work that you're embarking on. And I can't wait to see the outcomes of your PhD. Thank you, Angela. Thank you, Gillian. Thank you for listening today. You have been listening to Criminology Matters. I'm Gillian, and you can catch the other episodes in our series on lawpod.org, where all our show notes are available. <laughs>